Welcome to Barah Ministries, an intimate local Christian church with a worldwide impact. My name is Pastor Rory Clark, and thanks for listening to this Bible lesson. Who is Jesus Christ? Jesus Christ is the one and only true God, and it's our pleasure and our privilege to worship him. Someone who has the power to create the entire universe has to be God. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 says, In the beginning, not a beginning, God, Jehovah Elohim in Hebrew, God the Son, created, the, the Hebrew word for that is bara. We threw an H onto it because people would say bara, but the proper pronunciation is bara. He bara the heavens and the earth. The Hebrew word bara, from which bara ministries comes, means to speak something into existence from nothing, at the snap of a finger, the Lord created the heavens and the earth and the whole universe. And the Lord God the Son, the Creator, spoke us into existence as well by the word of His power. John chapter 1, verse 3 says this, All things came into being through Him, the Lord God the Son, and apart from Him as the Creator, nothing came into being that has come into being. Well, why does Barah Ministries exist? At Barah Ministries, you'll learn the Word of God from God's perspective and not from man's perspective. God provides this ministry to give you a mental sanctuary, a refuge where you can learn supernatural truth that provides divine solutions for your human problems. And make no mistake about it, your human problems need divine solutions, not your solutions. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 says this, The word of God is alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, and the word of God is piercing, dividing soul and spirit, dividing joints and marrow, and is a critic of thoughts and intents of the heart. One of the things that's great about truth is that it will illuminate the lies in your life so that you can get them out of your life. The Word of God frees you from confusion and welcomes you to clarity. So why do Christians study the Word of God? We study the Word of God to get to know the Lord Jesus Christ because it is His exact thinking revealed. We develop our relationship with the Lord as we get to know His mind. And for the masses, their reality is shaped through propaganda from corrupt media organizations that disseminate misinformation that causes fear, anxiety, 
and hopelessness. And every week on the news, it's the same 12 stories that have been perpetrated for the whole, uh, all of my existence. Some little kid died, somebody broke into somebody's house, somebody's house burned down, and this is the news being portrayed. It's 1% of life being portrayed as all of life. I've lived in homes for 67 years, and none of them have ever burned down. And that is the experience of most of us. Our houses have never burned down, but we're led to believe by the media complex that everybody's house is in danger of being burned down all the time. So the Word of God encourages us as believers in Christ to reject the deceptions of the world, to reject the propaganda of the world, and to come to the truth. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says this, Do not be conformed to this world by Satan, by his cosmic system of thought, and by the flesh resident in you. Instead, keep on being transformed by God the Holy Spirit through the renewing of your mind, the study of the Word of God. Mindset is huge if you want to be successful. How you think dictates your success. And so why do we study the Word of God? So that our mind is renewed, so that you may see clearly through the testing of experience, what the will of God is. And the will of God is that which is good for you, that which is acceptable to him, and that which is perfect in result. And all three of those things can be held in your head at one time, that he wants all three of those things simultaneously. What's good for you, while simultaneously being acceptable to him, while simultaneously being perfect in result. Now, God has an enemy, Satan, whom God made the ruler of this world. Satan wants us to be hopeless. He wants us to resign ourselves to the thought that we have no power, that we have no choice, that change is impossible, that the color of our skin dictates our success. I mean, if it's the wrong color, then we can't be successful. If we're the wrong nationality, we can't be successful. False. He wants us to believe there's nothing we can do. I, had, I didn't have a choice. There's nothing I can do. You hear that powerlessness coming out of people's mouths all the time. He wants us to think that God does not love us, that there is a God who has his foot over our head, who's looking to come down on us and who wants to condemn us. And that is not God's uh, way of being at all. That's not what unconditional love looks like. Satan wants us nowhere near the word of God, which is described in Romans chapter 15, verse 13, this way. Now may the God and Father of hope fill you believers in Christ with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of God the Holy Spirit through the study of the word of God. And what Satan is always doing is sending us messages of hopelessness, He wants us to read the Bible, to study the Bible, to take pieces of the Bible out of context, to uh, string it all together, and to put it together in such a way that it says that God is is not going to be happy with us if we don't do. It's the you got a life. And that is not the way God is at all. 
We know as believers in Christ that God has a plan for our lives that is beyond our wildest dreams. And Satan has no power to thwart that plan. He only has the power that God gives him because everything that happens in all of divine history happens only with God's permission. Today's Bible lesson, where in the Bible does it say that Jesus Christ is God? Where in the Bible does it say Jesus Christ is God? Well, that, that title makes me think back to a Muslim friend of mine who asked me that very question. And I spent three hours showing him all the different places in the Bible where it says that Jesus Christ is God and what effect did it have on him? None. So in the selling profession, before we meet someone we've never met, we Google them. We use a powerful search engine to surface every bit of public information to construct a biography that allows us to get to know the executive before we meet them. In today's lesson, the Apostle Paul gives the believers in first century Colossae a stunning biography of our Almighty God, the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's one of the great things about this letter to the Colossians, that we get an amazing picture of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, let's hear some music. Is Jesus Christ God? Well, the next song seems to think so, and they're right. If a being comes from heaven to earth, dies to pay for the sins of all his creatures, and then returns to an exalted position in the heavens, a thing no one else has ever done, he is God. Let's enjoy the artists of Maranatha music singing, Lord, I lift your name on high.
Let us pray. We're grateful, Heavenly Father, for the privilege of studying your absolute truth, the Word of God. Thank you, Father, for reintroducing us to your Son in this lesson so that we can never forget how special he is. Let us be in awe of this omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent Son of yours who has each one of us in mind by name at all times. Help us to remember that he thought enough of every one of us to die for us on a cross, to pay for our sins, and to bear your wrath for us. Remind us that he loves us unconditionally, he forgives us completely, and he always has our best interests in mind. Call to our minds every minute of the day how special we are in the Lord's eyes. We ask this through the power of God, the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, say it with me. Amen. Today's Bible lesson, where in the Bible does it say that Jesus Christ is God? Where in the Bible does it say that Jesus Christ is God? Wouldn't it be great if all creatures gave the Lord Jesus Christ the same courtesy we give to executives we don't know? You know, Google is a really powerful search engine, and if you want to get to know the Lord, you can ask any question and it'll bring up hundreds of articles that will answer your question. Wouldn't it be nice if we knew a lot about the Lord before we meet him? There are going to be a lot of believers in Christ who are absolutely shocked when they meet the Lord because they don't know one thing about him. They've let the world and Satan's viewpoint shape their thoughts about God, and then when they meet God, they're just going to be in awe and just stunned, especially because he's dark-skinned. <laughs> Amen? <laughs> oh, yeah, God's a brother. Yeah, and, you know, all you have to do, if you don't believe what I'm saying about that, just go to Jerusalem. And you, you walk around for a week with all that sun and limestone shining in your face, and you tell me if you're going to be a ginger, you're not. Believe, <laughs> believe me, you're not. But that's neither here nor there. Who cares what color the Lord is? All we care about is how powerful he is and that he came here to save us and that if it had been uh, that he had to come here to save only you, he would have done it. But my question for you is, will you know the Lord before you meet him? Well, in the next passage of Paul's letter to the Colossians, he introduces the Lord giving the believers at Colossae and all of us believers perhaps the best description of the Lord that's available in the Bible. Now, the doubters always ask, where in the Bible does it say that Jesus Christ is God? Or the way my southern friends say it is, nowhere in my Bible does it say that Jesus Christ is God. Now, those are obviously not the believer friends that I have in the South. But those are the doubter friends that I have in the South. It would actually be easier to answer the question, where in the Bible does it indicate that Jesus Christ is not God? Because it points out that he is God everywhere. The Bible is clear in so many places, like Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 3, says this, God the Father, after he revealed himself long ago to the church fathers, through the prophets and in various other ways, Hebrews 1, 2, in these last days, that's lately, and also a, a Greek idiom for in every generation, he has spoken 
through the one who is by nature his son, the Lord, Jesus, the Christ, whom God the Father appointed heir of all things. And through this Christ also, God the Father has made the universe. We saw that in the open, He is that Jesus Christ is the creator of the heavens and earth. Now, what does by nature mean? Nature is the basic or inherent features of something, especially when seen as things characteristic of it. And one of the things I love talking about when I'm teaching kids is Junior So Live, J-R-S-O-O-O Live, L-I-V-E, just 10 parts of the essence of God. He is justice. He's always fair. He is righteous. That's the J-R part. He is righteous, free from sin. He is sovereign. He is the supreme being of the universe. He's omnipotent. He has all the power. He's omniscient. He knows everything that is knowable. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere at the same time. He is love, unconditional love for all of his creatures. He expects nothing of you, and he never judges you. I, immutable, he never changes. It, uh, one, uh, I, I got a note from a person who was asking about uh, the rebound technique that we used to teach in systematic theology. And it was the idea that once you're a believer in Christ, when you sin, you're out of fellowship with God. You eject yourself from fellowship with God by sinning. And then when you name and cite, admit that sin to God, you are back in fellowship. That is the biggest load of crap that I have ever heard, ever, false teaching by false teachers. First of all, an immutable God who never changes is the one who puts you in fellowship with him. You don't have the power to put yourself in fellowship with God. God the Holy Spirit puts you in union with Christ at the moment of salvation. And once you have that fellowship with God, you cannot get out of it. And as a matter of fact, for church-age believers, the entire Trinity are indwelled by all three members of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit indwell you. Your body, as a believer in Christ in the church age, is a temple. And you have the indwelling of all three members of the Trinity in you. And that's why I don't ever understand why Christians who have goals, who want things are so worried about whether they're going to actually get them or not. Because you have the entire Trinity, the omnipotent Trinity, the omnipresent Trinity indwelling you. Why would you worry about whether you were going to get an objective you had or not? I'll tell you exactly why. Because you think you have to do it. And if you think you have to do it, you should doubt. Because you don't have much power. But God has all the power. Did you ever think about turning over your request to him? Make your request be known to God and the God of peace who, that surpasses all comprehension will garrison your heart and your mind through your union with Christ Jesus. The Bible just says it over and over. All right, so back to the nature of a thing, the basic or inherent features of something, especially when seen as things characteristic of it. Junior so live, God is justice, righteousness, sovereignty, omniscience, omnipotence, omnipresence, love, immutability, he never changes, veracity, he always tells the truth, that's the V of live, 
and he is eternal. He had no beginning and no ending. Jesus Christ has divine nature because he is God. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. Jesus Christ is the radiance, the flashing forth of God the Father's glory. What is glory? Glory is everything God has prepared in heaven for those who love him. The Lord Jesus Christ is the radiance, the flashing forth of God the Father's glory. And Jesus is the exact representation of God the Father's nature. Jesus Christ is not a, just a man. He is the God-man. And he has the exact same essence as God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. Justice, righteousness, sovereignty, omniscience, omnipotence, omnipresence, love, immutability, veracity, and eternal life. So he, Jesus is the exact representation of God the Father's nature. Jesus is the exact same in essence as God the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ upholds all things in the universe by the word of his power. When Jesus had made purification of sins, paying for the sins of all creatures at the cross with his blood, and that's how sins are paid for, with blood, with Christ's blood, the Lord Jesus Christ sat down at the right hand of the majesty, God the Father, on high. Jesus Christ is God, but the doubters don't think so. False teachers are always spreading false teaching designed to make the Lord Jesus Christ less than he is. And that was the problem in the Colossian church that prompted Paul to write this four-chapter letter, 95 verses, to the Colossians. The Apostle Paul is having none of that crap that false teachers are laying down. So let's take a look at the next passage of his letter. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23, which is a brief biography of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Colossians 1.15, the Lord Jesus Christ is the exact image of the invisible God and Father. The God-man was visible. He came to earth and he was seen. God the Father is invisible. He is not seen, but we will meet him one day. Jesus Christ is the firstborn of all creation. Colossians 1.16, For by the Lord, God the Son, all things were created. John chapter 1, verse 3, Both in the heavens and on the earth, whether visible or invisible, like gravity, whether thrones or dominions, whether rulers or authorities, all things have be, been created through the Lord and for the Lord's purposes. Colossians 1.17 The Lord is the one before all things. Nothing came before him. Sorry, Roman Catholics. Mary is not the mother of God. To be the mother of God, she would have had to precede God. This verse says there's no way she did that. She is the mother of Jesus Christ's humanity, and that's it. She is not the mother of God, but Roman Catholics worship her as if she has the same essence and the same 
characteristics of Jesus Christ. She absolutely does not. That is an absolute lie that 1.3 billion people believe and are worshiping about to this day. The Lord is before all things, and in the Lord all things hold together by the word of his power. The Lord is also head of the body. And who's the body? The church. He's the head. We're the body. Nice analogy. And he is the beginning. He is the firstborn from the dead so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. What does that mean? He has absolute supremacy. He is the supreme being. Supreme means the highest, and there's nobody higher than that. Colossians 1.19 For it was God the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness of deity to dwell in Christ. Now think about that. It was God the Father's good pleasure to take a bunch of sinners who were on the wrong side of a barrier, who were his enemies, and to send his son to die so that that barrier could be broken down. The veil of the temple in, in the, uh, the Solomon's temple was about a thousand feet wide and, and about 30 feet high, and it was thick and heavy. And when Jesus Christ died on the cross, it was torn in two. Why? Because the barrier was broken down by what Jesus Christ did at the cross. At that moment, there was no more barrier between God and man. Colossians chapter 1, verse 20. And through the Lord, God the Father reconciled, reconciled all things to himself, having made peace. Peace means God has nothing against you. Having made peace through the blood of the Lord's cross. Through him, I say, whether things on the earth or things in heaven. Colossians 1.21 And although all of you were formerly alienated, you were born physically alive and spiritually dead, although all of you were hostile in mind toward God, you did not seek a relationship with God. You were engaged in evil deeds, sins, when you were unbelievers. Colossians 1.22 Yet the Lord has now reconciled all of you Colossian believers in his fleshly body through death. Why? Why did God do this? To present all of you before God the Father as holy and blameless and beyond reproach. And you are that right this minute. Holy. If you're a believer in Christ, you are holy, blameless, and beyond reproach, Colossians 1.23, if indeed all of you continue in the faith. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Better stop now. Why don't we take that excerpt out and say, oh, man, if I continue in the faith, am I continuing the faith? Firmly established and steadfast. We'll talk about that and not moved away by false teachers from the hope of the gospel message that you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, was made a minister. The passage we study today answers three questions. First question is, who is Jesus Christ? That's verses 15 to 18. 
Second question is, what has Jesus Christ done? That's verses 19 and 20. And then the third question is, why did Jesus Christ do the things he has done? Verses 21 to 23. What are the false teachers with their false teaching saying about Jesus Christ? Well, they add to the truth. Remember the caramel apple from our second lesson this year? They take the perfect apple, which is Christianity, and they add nuts to it and caramel to it because it could be so much better if you just add all these other things. You would be so much more spiritual. They subtract from it. Remember the apple with the, with the chunk cut out? Yeah, Christianity's really good, I know, but it would be so much better if it didn't have all these pieces. They pervert the truth to cause believers in Christ to doubt what we know to be true. What does it mean to pervert? It means to alter something from its original form by addition or subtraction to a distortion or a corruption of what was first intended. It's taking a $20 bill, which will buy you $20 worth of goods, copying it on a copier, and then trying to pass it off as the original. That's called counterfeiting. No, you don't get to counterfeit Christianity by adding to it or subtracting from it. The Roman Catholics say Jesus did not complete the work of salvation at the cross. And I wonder how many of the 1.3 billion people who claim to be staunch, devout Roman Catholics know that in their religion, there is a contempt for Jesus Christ, that there is a contempt for what he, do, what he did at the cross, that there is a subtraction from what he did at the cross. He absolutely completed the work of salvation at the cross. The Jehovah's Witnesses say that Jesus Christ is not God, that he is a created being, and in John 1.1 of the Jehovah's Witness Bible, it says that he is like a God, small g. No, he isn't like a God. He is God. He is the creator. He is not like anybody or anything. He is, the Mormons say that Jesus Christ is Satan's brother. That's really laughable. He is not. And they, they of course, don't call him Satan. They call him Lucifer, which was an attempt to introduce Latin into the Bible. Uh, The King James Bible does that. Lucifer is Latin. The Bible was inspired in Koine Greek in the New Testament. Latin does not belong in. But those are the things that Satan is always doing. He's always perverting, always changing, always infiltrating the truth always helping it because, of course, the truth needs his help. The truth doesn't need anything from Satan. The false teachers tell us that we need to pray through somebody. In the Roman Catholic Church, we need to pray through the saints. There's a saint for travel. There's a saint for misery. There's a saint for everything. And these are human beings who allegedly perform some miracle that the Roman Catholic Church has recognized, and now we have to go through them to get to God. Or we need to pray to angels. 
or we need to pray to Mary, the alleged mother of God, to, and, and to get her to pray for us because, of course, a mother has a special relationship with her son and she can boss him around. No, no, no. And then, of course, there are the, the, the nut jobs who say, well, the universe, we need to pray to the universe. I just am so happy that the universe is giving me the karma. All who propose these things are liars. Jude chapter 1 verse 4 says this, certain persons, that's a reference to unrighteous, unbelieving, false teachers, have crept in unnoticed. Why? Because they're wolves in sheep's clothing. Those predicted by God to appear, those ungodly persons marked out for condemnation who turn the grace of our God into moral anarchy and who deny the only absolute master, our Lord Jesus Christ. If you want to learn something about false teachers, just read the book of Jude. It's one chapter, probably about 28 verses. Jude was the brother of James, and both of them were the half-brothers of Jesus Christ. Uh Uh-oh, how could Jesus Christ have brothers? Oh, if they have brothers, if Jesus Christ has human brothers, then Mary must not be a virgin anymore. Oh, boy. That's not what Roman Catholics believe. They think Mary was ever virgin. No, she had a virgin birth. And after that, she had six kids, four boys, two girls, at least. That's clearly delineated in the Bible. So if you don't know what, want to know what the truth is, all you have to do is stay away from the Bible because the Bible is telling you the truth. The Colossian believers are under attack by a group called the Gnostics. And today, believers in Christ are under attack from false teachers as well who want us to believe that Jesus Christ is just one of the many enlightened prophets who have been on the earth to teach us. No different than Muhammad or Gandhi or Buddha. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Well, did Muhammad die for you on a cross? Did Buddha die for you on a cross? Did the Dalai Lama die for you on the cross? Did a Pope die for you on the cross? No. No. He's not like everybody else. He's the creator. Jesus Christ is God. And that's why that sign is hanging over my head. Jesus Christ is deity. He's not like everybody else. In fact, he is the unique person of the universe because he is 100% God and 100% man in one person forever. He is the creator. He is not a creature. So the passage we're about to study paints a picture of Jesus Christ as God. So let's examine the passage verse by verse, beginning in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 18, answering the question, who is Jesus Christ? Colossians 1.15, The Lord Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God and Father. He is the firstborn of all creation. Colossians 1.16, For by the Lord God the Son, all things were created, things in the heaven and things on earth, 
things visible, things invisible, whether thrones or powers or evil rulers or authorities or all things have been created through the Lord and for the Lord. Jesus Christ is God in human form. He is the visible manifestation of the entire Godhead. He has the exact same essence, the exact same nature as every member of the Godhead. John chapter 1, verse 18 says this, No one has seen God the Father at any time. The only begotten one of God the Father who is in the bosom of God the Father, the Lord, Jesus, the Christ, the Jewish Messiah, has come to earth to explain God the Father. In John chapter 10, verse 30, the Lord says, I, the Lord Jesus Christ and God the Father, are one. What does one mean in that instance? It means we are the same in essence. Junior, so alive. Now, Jesus Christ is either telling the truth or he's a nut job. He's saying he's God over and over and over again. He's reminding people of all the things the Old Testament predicted about him. He was going to be born in Bethlehem. He was going to be born of a virgin. He was going to come to take away the sins of the world. He was going to be the lamb without spot or blemish. He lived a sinless life. He predicted it all. Did they know? Did the people he came to know? Because that's what what all my friends are always saying when I start to evangelize to them. They say, well, okay, this Jesus stuff is all well and good, but what about the little children in the middle of Africa who didn't know? Everybody knows. What kind of God would it be if he didn't put the knowledge of himself inside of us and then surround us with it from the outside. They know. Why is it that if I start talking to somebody about my business, focus selling, there's no hostility whatsoever? It's like, oh, well, okay, well, you have a business, and you have a system, customer development system, it's called focus selling. Huh? But you let me mention Jesus Christ. You let me mention Jesus Christ and the hostility all around the world. I've traveled all around the world. I have taught on six continents in over 30 countries. And when I mention Jesus Christ, everybody's got an opinion about him. Everybody is hostile toward him. Why is that? Why is it that there are 124 million people in Japan and 2 million of them are Christians, which means 122 million of them are hostile to Jesus Christ and have a different opinion about who exactly he is. Why is it that at the name of Jesus, everyone gets up in arms? Why is that? You know why. You know why. He's God. And he said it over and over and over and over again. John chapter 1, verse 1 says this. In the beginning was the Word. And that is the Greek term, ho logos, the Word, 
which means the Lord, God the Son. And the Word was with God the Father. So God the Son was with God the Father. And the Word, the Lord, God the Son, was God. He is deity. He was not like a God. He is God. The Bible describes his magnificent person in so many ways. He is 100% God and 100% human in one being forever. John chapter 1 verse 14 says this, And the Word, the Lord, God the Son, became flesh, Jesus Christ, humiliating himself to take on the form of a human being. And he lived among us. And John says, And we apostles saw his glory with our own eyes, glory as of the only begotten one from the source of God the Father, full of grace and full of truth. When Judas brought 100 Roman soldiers into the Garden of Gethsemane to arrest Jesus Christ. Now, why you need, you know, Jesus Christ is always portrayed as this long-haired hippie, soft, passive, mild guy. If he was that, why do you need to send 100 people to arrest him? You don't need to send 100 people to arrest him. But they did. They sent a Roman legion to arrest him. And he said to them, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus, the Nazarene. And he said, I am he. And they fell flat on their face. They didn't know what, (laughs) they didn't know what hit them. Was that a hint? Was that a hint? And then Peter, Mr. Don't worry, Lord, stand back. I'll save you. I'll rescue you. He pulls out his sword and he chops off the ear of Malchus, one of the slaves. And Jesus Christ bends down, picks up the ear and puts it back on the body. Was that a hint? I'm talking to you. Was that a hint? If that was a hint, say amen. It was a hint. <laughs> Human beings don't do that. Could the Dalai Lama do that? Did the Pope ever do that? Did Buddha ever do that? If these guys have so much power, why don't they go make somebody come back from the dead like Jesus did? Jesus resurrected a guy from the dead who had been dead for four days, Lazarus. Why haven't they done any of that if they're so powerful? Jesus Christ is way different than them. Jesus Christ is God. Colossians chapter 1, verses 17 and 18 say this, The Lord is before all things, and in the Lord all things hold together. That is one of the best descriptions of the Lord ever given. Why? Because what does it mean? It means the Lord is first in everything. In other words, he is preeminent. I love that word. He is preeminent. What does it mean to be preeminent? It means to be superior to all others. To pre-exist all others. He told the Jews. Even before Moses was, I am. 
to put the Lord's greatness into words would scramble human imagination. The Lord holds all things together by his word. Why doesn't the sky fall on your head? The Lord holds up the sky. Why doesn't the earth stop spinning? The Lord keeps it moving. Why don't the stars collide? Because the Lord named every star and keeps them from bumping into each other and keeps them from burning out and coming to the earth and burning us up. Only God could do that. And those who are not God have never claimed to be that powerful. Colossians chapter 1, verse 18, The Lord is also head of the body, the church. You are a church-age believer if you're a believer in Christ, and you are a member of the church. And the Lord is the beginning. He is the firstborn from the dead. So he himself will come to have first place in everything. Who other than God could orchestrate the unity of a church? That's what we're all we're talking about all the time is we, we got to stop being divisive. We got to unify. And every year, what happens? Divisiveness. But at the moment of your salvation, you were put into a unity by God that you cannot get out of, and that is the unity of the body, the church. You're put into it. You can't get out of it. That's why I don't understand why believers in Christ betray each other, because just because you betrayed a member of the body of Christ, does that mean all of a sudden you're separate from them? It doesn't. You can't get out of that unity. So nobody has ever been able to orchestrate unity, but the Lord did. Who could lay down his own life voluntarily and then resurrect himself from the dead? The Lord Jesus Christ is the only one who's ever done it. And the only conclusion that you can come to is he is God. What's the answer to the question, who is Jesus Christ? It's right behind me. Jesus Christ is God. When we return from the break, we'll take the offering. And then we'll learn more about the one that we worship. Take a five-minute break. Why you ever chose me has always been a mystery. All my life I've been told I belong at the end of the line. Will all the other not quite? Will all the never get it right? But it turns out they're the ones you were looking for all this time. Cause I'm just a nobody. Me 
Welcome back. Today's Bible lesson, where in the Bible does it say that Jesus Christ is God? Where in the Bible does it say Jesus Christ is God? Well, legendary UCLA basketball coach John Wooden once said, you can't have a perfect day without doing something for someone who'll never be able to repay you. Our God does this every second of every day. As believers in Christ, we choose to reflect the same grace. When you give to Barah Ministries, you make it possible for people all over the world to get spiritual food to feed their spiritual lives free of charge. Thank you for your generosity. Let's welcome up Deacon Denny Goodall with one of his always inspiring 
offering messages. Thank you. Thank you very much. Good morning. Good morning. My name is Denny Goodall, and I'm blessed to be a deacon for Bra Ministries. I'm blessed because at Bra Ministries, we're not scared to, to say that Jesus Christ is God. We're not scared to call out the false teachers. And we're not scared to say that God is calling us to a new life, a resurrection life. And I wanted to talk a little bit more about false teachers because I think we forget about the worst false, false teacher of all, which is ourselves. We always think that we have a plan. I want to do my plan. I want to live out my life, and I want to get everything situated before I take God into my life. And then by the time you do, you're too old and you forget all the stuff you did. It's like the people that want to plan their whole life out, and by the time they're ready to have kids, they can't have kids because they're too old. Or it's, you know, we try to live the I life where it's, I have to have the power to do everything. I have to do everything in my power. So it's my plan and it's my power. It's I power. But when you think about it, could you stop the moon from going around the earth, from orbiting the earth? Could you stop the waves from crashing at the sea? Can you stop a big storm in your power? No. What do you have to do? Pray. You have to use God's power. You have to use God's plan first. And so if you try to do your power and your plan, you're, you're living a lie life. You're living a lie. And so if it's your power and your plan, then it's your problem. You have to solve all those problems. But that's not what God wants us to do. He wants us to live the resurrection life, live in him, and have him solve the problems. We see that in 1 Timothy chapter 6, 18, and 19. Instruct the rich to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the true treasure of good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of what is the resurrection life. So we can take a hold of the resurrection life right now, the Zoe life. We don't have to wait. We don't have to use our plan or our power or our lies. We can use God's power and his plan for our lives. And when you're giving at the offering, you're living the resurrection life. You're worshiping God. You're showing that God, Jesus Christ, is God. And so thank you for continuing to support this ministry to get that message around the world because we're not scared to live the Zoe life. Thank you.
This is so true. There is none like you, Jesus. Today's Bible lesson, where in the Bible does it say that Jesus Christ is God? Where in the Bible does it say that Jesus Christ is God? Well, now that we know who Jesus Christ is from verses 15 to 18 of Colossians chapter 1, let's find out what he has done. Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. For it was God the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness of deity to dwell in the Christ in bodily form. By taking on human form, God dumbed himself down for us. He allowed himself to suffer at the hands of the very men he created to make it possible for whosoever to have a relationship with his Father. He made it possible for everyone to be saved, and there is no one who can't be saved. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 7 says this, You, God the Father, have made him, Jesus Christ, for a little while lower than the angels. That stunned the angels in heaven. That stunned them. They couldn't believe that the Lord, God the Son, would take on a human form because the human form was lesser than the angels. They couldn't believe it. You have crowned him with glory and honor, and you have appointed him over the works of your hands. When the Lord was in human form as Jesus the Christ, the Jewish Messiah, he was treated like dirt. You're just a carpenter's son. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? You're just a man. You're just a rabbi. You're just a teacher. You're just a prophet. False teachers portray Jesus as anything but what he is, God in human flesh. Colossians chapter 1, verse 20. And through the Lord, God the Father reconciled all things to himself. That is such a powerful statement. He reconciled all things to himself. He broke down the barrier of the dividing wall that was separating man and God. So through the Lord, God the Father reconciled all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of the Lord's cross. Through Jesus, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. Since every human being is born with Adam's sin imputed, that is, credited to your account, and since every human being commits personal sins in his lifetime, how can anyone have a relationship with God when sinning demands punishment. And the punishment that sinning demands is death, spiritual death. God has a way of dealing with his enemies. At the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ restored the peace between God the Father and mankind, a restoration called reconciliation. What is reconciliation? It's the removal of an enmity. What is an enmity? A hostility, a deep-seated hatred, hostility between God and man. That's what sin was doing to block us from getting to a relationship with God the Father. It's the restoration of harmony. It's the the reinstatement of peace. Not you, harmony. It's a different kind of harmony. Amen? (laughs) Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14 say this. When you were spiritually dead in your transgressions, 
and in the uncircumcision of your flesh. In other words, when you were sinners, God the Father made you spiritually alive together with Christ, having forgiven us all our our transgressions. Colossians 2.14, and having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against you, which was hostile to you. And he has taken the debt out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. When we accept the person and the work of Jesus Christ for our own salvation, we are no longer sinners, we are saints. That's a fact that 90% of believers in Christ don't know. There are a bunch of believers in Christ who are still going around calling themselves sinners. And you know why they're doing that? Because they don't know jack about what the Bible has to say about them. We are not sinners as believers in Christ. We are saints, totally set apart ones, set apart for privileges that stagger the imagination. And the result is the restoration of peace between us and God. Now God has nothing against us. Romans chapter 5 Verse 1, therefore, having been justified on the principle of faith in the past, we believers in Christ now and forevermore keep on having peace with God the Father, continuous action, through our union with the Lord Jesus Christ. At the baptism of the Spirit, at the moment of salvation, when God the Holy Spirit placed us into union with Christ, magic happened. And the magic was... From the past, now, and forevermore, we are saved and we are special to God. Romans chapter 5, verse 11. And not only this, much more. And that's what God is always doing for his church-age believers, the believers who are living in the age of grace. What does he do? Much more. Before the cross, God did a lot of things for his believers. But once the cross hit, what happened? Much more. Much more. He was much more willing to do things for our group of sinners. And not only this, much more. We believers in Christ also exult in God the Father through our union with the Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Who is Jesus Christ? He is God. What did Jesus Christ do? He gave his life as a ransom in payment for slaves so that he could reconcile all to a relationship with God the Father. Now, who did Jesus Christ do it for is the last question of the quiz. He did it for you. Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 to 23 say this, And although all of you believers in Christ were former alienated, and hostile in mind when you were unbelievers, doers of evil deeds. Yet the Lord has now reconciled all of you believers in Christ in his physical body through his death on the cross. What does that mean in Colossians 1.22? It means that Jesus Christ in his physical body endured the wrath of God the Father for you, so that you wouldn't have to. So you you ask a Christian, what did Jesus Christ do at the cross? Jesus Christ died for my sins. Okay, excellent point. But what else did he do? He took 
the wrath of God the Father that was due you. And now you never have to take that wrath on yourself. And you know what an unbeliever is saying? No thanks, Jesus. No thanks. I'll do it myself. I'll take the wrath of God the Father. When Jesus was on the cross, he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And everybody thinks, Wow, did God the Father forsake Jesus Christ? Of course not. What Jesus was saying is what every unbeliever is going to say when they first feel that wrath of God the Father. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because you wanted me to. There's the answer. Because you didn't want anything to do with me. And so now you're in a place with all the people who are like you who wanted nothing to do with me. All the people who were like you who had Christian friends who were telling you the good news and you were mocking them. And you were saying stuff like, Rory, I don't see how a guy who's as intelligent as you are and who is as successful as you are could believe that Jesus Christ is God. Let me tell you something. My my career teaching salespeople how to sell with a customer development system can pound sand. My bank account can pound sand. But you know what has sustained me for all the years that I've been on this earth? You know who is at the center of my success? Christ. There is no way that you could ever look at my life and say that I had anything to do with that success. There is no way. That is all God. That is Jesus Christ who decided exactly how he would use my life to be a reflection to human beings a billion years ago. It's all Christ. You take my clothes, my car, my house, all my possessions, my bank account, everything. It means absolutely nothing. But the one thing you cannot have is my relationship with Christ and my Bible. Anything else you want? Take it. If I gave... If I took my bank account and divided it equally among 100 people, it would be back in my pocket in two weeks. That's how bad people are with money. They, people think that all the, the, their problems will be solved if they just had more money. Well, why is it that everybody who wins the lottery, three years after they win the lottery, no matter how much money they made, is in worse shape financially than they were before they got the money. So they don't know how to think about money. The, 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 the fleet, fleeting uh, fragrance of riches. Nobody who's in hospice today is concerned at all about their bank account. Believe me. Colossians 1.22 again, Yet the Lord has now reconciled all of you believers in Christ in his physical body through his death on a cross in order to present all of you before God the Father as holy in his sight, 
blameless, which means you are no longer the target of accusations and beyond reproach. You are people without blemish. And what is Satan doing in the Supreme Court of Heaven? Heaven? What's one of the titles that's associated with him? He is an accuser of the brethren. He's accusing you of things in heaven. Look at your believers. They're still sinning. Look at your believers. They're doing this. Look at your believers. They're doing that. And Jesus just yawns. Everything they're doing is paid for, man. I don't even know why you don't get it. I don't even know why you keep talking about already paid for, already put to bed stuff. They have the victory. What part of you lost don't you get? But Satan refuses to believe that he lost. As believers in Christ, we now have the spiritual equivalent of diplomatic immunity. What is diplomatic immunity? It's a principle of international law by which certain foreign government officials are not subject to the jurisdiction of local courts and other authorities for both their official and their personal activities. So, if a foreign diplomat from, let's say, Iran is in the United States and he commits murder, he is not subject to the laws of the United States because he has diplomatic immunity. That's what it's like for believers in Christ. We get accused of things, but we're like Teflon. It just falls off. And nobody who was mature would then think, oh, since I have diplomatic immunity, I should just go out and sin like crazy. Because God's grace increases where sin is increasing, I should just go out and sin. I should just go out and do stupid stuff. Nobody who is mature thinks that way. People with diplomatic immunity are not chargeable for breaking the law. Through his person and his work on the cross, Jesus Christ made it possible for every believer to not be chargeable for their offenses. And Satan can say anything he wants about believers in Christ. God yawns. And ignores it. Colossians chapter 1 verse 23. If indeed all you Colossian believers continue in the faith. You remember when I said that earlier? And I said, uh oh, what if I don't continue in the faith? This is how believers hurt themselves. They'll see something like this. Only if you continue in the faith. And they say, oh man, well last week I did some stupid stuff. I'm not continuing in the faith. If is a first-class condition if. In the Greek, it's if and it's true. If indeed all of you Colossian believers continue in the faith, which of course you will. All believers in Christ are continuing in the faith. Why? Because we're in union with Christ. Firmly established and steadfast, victorious. If indeed you don't get moved away by false teachers from the hope of the gospel message that you heard. And that's what happens for a lot of Christians. They get moved away from the confidence that they ought to have because the false teachers are telling them that everything they know to be true isn't true. And because they aren't studying the truth, they believe them. 
They believe liars. So, if indeed you don't get moved away by false teachers from the hope of the gospel message that you've heard, which of course you won't, a gospel proclaimed to every creature under heaven, uh uh-oh, what if some of them don't know? Well, the Bible says it's proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which gospel I, Paul, was made a minister by God. What has Jesus Christ done for you? That's the third question of the quiz. What has Jesus Christ done for you? He has taken you from a nothing to a something. All right? He has taken you from alienated to reconciled. He has taken you from far off to brought near. He has taken you from the other side of a barrier to a broken down dividing wall. He has taken you from the accused to all ordinance against you taken out of the way. He has taken you from enemy to friend. He has taken you from darkness to light. He has taken you from alien to heir. He has taken you from lost to rescued. He has taken you from slave to free. He has taken you from imprisoned to redeemed. He has taken you from enmity to reconciliation. He has taken you from false teaching to true teaching. Jesus Christ is God. Where in the Bible does it say that Jesus Christ is God? Everywhere. Even Jesus' enemies realize what they did not want to admit. John chapter 10, verses 31 to 33 say this. The unbelieving Jews picked up stones again to stone Jesus. John chapter 10, verse 32. Jesus said to them, I showed you many good works from the source of God the Father. For which of these works are you stoning me? John 10.33, John 10, the Jews answered Jesus saying, For a good work we do not stone you. For blasphemy we stone you because you, being a man, make yourself out to be God. They knew. What if they didn't know? They knew. They knew. Why do we keep asking? What if they didn't know? They knew the truth. Jesus Christ is the preeminent God, pre-existing all others, superior to all others, the creator of all others. All false teachers had to do to not believe that Jesus Christ is God is to ignore the evidence. As believers in Christ, we embrace the evidence and we relax, knowing that we are worshiping the one and only God, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The closing moments of today's lesson are dedicated to anyone anywhere who is undecided about having a relationship with the sovereign God of the universe, the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We want you to know that God wants you. And what God wants is for you to make the most important decision of your life. Where you spend eternity matters to God because you matter to God. He wants you to be saved. In John chapter 4, verses 13 and 14, the Lord Jesus Christ is talking to a woman at a well. 
a Samaritan woman whom the Jews wanted nothing to do with. They were half Samaritan and half Jewish, and none of the Jews wanted anything to do with half-breeds. And after a brief introduction, the Lord says to the woman, Everyone who drinks of the water in this well will thirst again. John 4.14 But whoever drinks of the water that I, the Lord Jesus Christ, will give him, the water of the word, the gospel message, that person shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to the resurrection life, eternal life. It is the Lord's will for you to live with him in heaven forever when you close your eyes in this life. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse, verses 3 and 4 say this. This is what is good and acceptable in the sight of the God who is our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who desires all men to be saved and who desires for all men to come to the knowledge of the truth. Unfortunately, most people think religion shows the way to be saved. Is religion the truth? Billions of people in this world think so believing religion and its rituals are the tickets into heaven. So they embrace religious beliefs that tell them how to live, but the religions never tell them how to have a personal relationship with God. Religions propose that if you don't do everything their God expects, that he will be disappointed. And regardless of your best efforts to follow religious rituals, which you can't and don't do, even if you do all of them, the religion does not guarantee that you will get to heaven. Well, Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, a relationship guaranteed to save you. Getting to heaven when you close your eyes in this life is as simple as a nine-word conversation with God the Father, like the one in Luke chapter 23, verses 42 and 43. And a thief being crucified next to Jesus was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Luke 23, 43. And Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. A nine-word conversation with God can get you into heaven. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Or if you prefer, a couple of five-word conversations with God the Father. Father, I believe in Christ. Or as a man said to Jesus when he was on the earth, I believe. Help my unbelief. Believe. What does it mean to believe? It means simply take God's word for what it takes to be saved. And that is the moment of eternal life for you. Acts chapter 16, verse 31. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and everyone in your household. Who also believes. Well, who is this God that saves you? The Apostle Paul describes the Lord in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. He says, I, Paul, deliver to you believers in Christ as of primary importance the gospel message I also received from God, that it was Jesus Christ who died for our sins according to the Old Testament scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised from the dead on the third day, according to the Old Testament scriptures. If you reject a relationship offer from the Lord Jesus Christ, 
he will honor your rejection. Matthew chapter 13, verses 49 and 50 say this, So it will be at the end of the age. The elect angels will come forth and take out the wicked, a description of unbelievers, from among the righteous, believers in Christ. Matthew 13, 50. And and will throw the wicked into the furnace of fire, the lake of fire. And in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What a place of regret that it was so easy to be saved. And that easy thing, that nine-word little thing was rejected. On the other hand, once the Lord saves you, no matter how hard you try, you cannot lose your salvation. John chapter 10, verse 28 says this, I, the Lord Jesus Christ, give eternal life to believers in Christ, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Anyone who says you can lose your salvation is lying to you. So follow the advice in John chapter 3, verse 36. He who believes in the Son has the resurrection life right at that moment. But he who does not obey the command to believe in the Son will not see the resurrection life. Instead, the wrath of God, the lake of fire, abides on him. It's not religion that gets you to heaven. It's relationship with the one and only Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Have that conversation with God the Father right now, and you will be saved. Well, the closing song. Philippians chapter 2, verse 9 says this, God the Father highly exalted Jesus and bestowed on him the name which is above every other name. Here's June Murphy telling us about him and song, Come See a Man.
sin and death I have been free All the guilt and shame I carried from my past Was nailed with Christ to the tree You can give June a hand. She, sound, she sounds young again. No, wait, that was a recording. It was recorded 45 years ago. So. But I'm, <laughs> but I'm, I'm going to get a phone call about that. I just know I am. All right, let's close with words of praise for our Lord that offer encouragement to you. Proverbs 3, 5 says, Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Proverbs 3, 6, in all your ways acknowledge Jesus, and he will direct your path straight. Psalm 46, 1, for God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in times of trouble. Isaiah 40, 13, those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. Let us pray.
Almighty God and Father, thank you for giving us a Lord who is worthy of our worship, your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you for giving us the guidance of God the Holy Spirit who leads us into all the truth about the Lord. Thank you for giving us a written document, the Bible, that proves beyond a reasonable doubt and by a preponderance of the evidence that Jesus Christ is God. And thank you for giving us the spiritual wisdom required to notice the spiritual evidence that comes from you. We pray for our enemies, Father. We pray that you enlighten them and lead them to the truth through the convicting ministry of God the Holy Spirit, especially unbelievers who are part of our circle of family and friends. We ask this through the power of God the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, say it with me. Amen. Got biblical questions? Ask the pastor, pastor at baraministries.com. Keep on studying the Word of God. Thanks for coming, thanks for watching, and thanks for listening.